Well, praise God, this morning, if you know Christ, you have a firm foundation. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Uh, the world uh, feels less and less firm. Less, it has less and less of a firm foundation. But if you know Christ as your Savior, you have an unchanging, solid, unmovable foundation. Aren't you glad this morning? Aren't you glad? Take your Bible this morning, please. Turn to Matthew 27, Matthew chapter 27 this morning. Uh, if you're visiting this morning, we, we teach and preach through books of the Bible. Uh, we believe here the Bible is God's word. It's word, uh, his words given through the various penmen that he's used to capture down his words. And uh, God has promised uh, to preserve his words. And so we are confident this morning in our King James Bible, we have uh, the preserved words of God for English-speaking people. Uh, I praise God for his words. Amen. I praise God for his words. Bible says that they're quick, they're alive, they're powerful, and that he equips us uh, with all that we need uh, through the Bible, through his words. And boy, this morning, I am, I am thankful for his words. This morning in Matthew 27, uh, we continue uh, here. We're almost at the cross. We're, we're almost at the cross. Christ has been uh, arrested. Uh, he's, he's been uh, dragged to the Sanhedrin. Uh, the Sanhedrin has conducted sort of a, a mock court, a, a bogus trial uh, of a sinless, innocent Savior. And they've, they've condemned him, we'll see this morning. And uh, they don't want to have any trouble with the people. And so they refer Christ over to the Roman authorities. And that local authority that the Romans had installed there in that part of the world, you remember his name, right? Uh, the Roman procurator at the time of the arrest in uh, crucifix, Pontius Pilate. You, you remember him, right? We'll see uh, the Lord being dragged to Pontius Pilate this morning um, and the experiences that he has there. Uh, in Matthew's account, uh, Christ doesn't get carried off or referred to Herod, but we know from the parallel accounts he does, and we'll bring that in. And then he's kind of back before Herod again, uh, scourged and then off to be crucified and of course as we make our way closer and closer to Easter now we, we'll see uh, some final events before the cross this week the cross next week and then on the 17th uh, the resurrection praise God for the resurrection this morning uh, let, let's bow our heads we'll we'll pray and we'll, we'll jump right in here this morning in Matthew 27 Father God I thank you Lord this morning for the Bible for your words Lord, it's an incredible, amazing privilege that we have uh, to hold an accurate translation of your very words in our own hands. Father, I pray this morning that we would treasure them, that we would value them. Lord, that our desire would be to know them, to search them, to seek you in them, and to know you through them. Father, I thank you this morning that you've made clear in your word in the Bible that anyone who would repent of sin and place their faith in Christ Lord, we're forgiven, we're saved from the consequence of sin by grace through faith. Not something that we can earn, but Lord, something that's been earned for us by Christ on the cross. Lord, thank you so very much. I pray, Father, that you'll work here this morning as we look at some of these final events before the cross. Lord, that you would instruct us. Lord, that you would encourage us that we have a Savior that despite what he endured, stayed faithful, stayed faithful on this road to the cross. Lord, because you love us so much. Father, thank you this morning. 
I pray that you'd encourage us this morning, even in a passage that is this difficult to read, this difficult to study. Lord, I pray this morning that you'd instruct us and encourage us regarding the great love, the great faith that compelled Christ to stay the course all the way to the cross. Father, I love you. I thank you. I pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Are you in Matthew 27? Is that where we are? Okay, good. Matthew 27. Uh, we've spent a number of weeks in, in, in chapter 46. We move into chapter 27 now. Uh, um, Zach, you have C's for us this afternoon, right? Did you tell me they're all the same? Uh, I was looking at my message last night. I said, you know, what? I have C's also. So that's going to be a theme today. Okay, I'm going to give you four C's this morning. Uh, four C's. Maybe I stole that from Zach. I don't know. Zach, I apologize if I did. Uh, four C's this morning. First of all, this morning, I want you to see Jesus condemned. Uh, Jesus condemned by the Sanhedrin. Read a couple of verses here, and then I want to just take a moment and consider uh, some of the incredible ironies about what we see here. Uh, some of the incredible ironies as, as Jesus uh, is condemned. How ironic is it uh, that these uh, wicked, uh, lost members of the Sanhedrin uh, are, are, are trying and, and condemning Christ, their Savior. Uh, if only they would repent from their sins and turn to him, they could be forgiven. But instead, they're rejecting him and condemning him and sending him on to Pilate with the hope that he'd be crucified. Look with me here in verse 1. The Bible says, when the morning was come, so they conducted that bogus trial during the night. That violated their rules and their laws. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus. Uh, read the last five words here with me, please. To put him to death. That's their goal. That's their desire. They didn't try him to determine his guilt or innocence. They tried him uh, for the purpose of finding someone who would lie about his guilt so that he could be referred on to Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the, the Roman procurator, and, and hopefully they hoped uh, they hoped uh, crucified uh, there upon the cross. So they've, 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 they've condemned him. They've taken counsel uh, against him now to put him to death. And that's our first point this morning. Jesus is condemned uh, by the priests or, or the Sanhedrin. Look at verse 2. When they had bound him, they tied him up. Imagine that. They, uh, they tied up or they chained up the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, they led him away and delivered him. Uh, here's our man, Pontius Pilate, to uh, Pontius Pilate, the governor. Uh, do you see anything ironic here in, in these two verses? Maybe last week as we looked at, as we examined that trial, that uh, late night, uh, middle of the night, uh, bogus trial, maybe, maybe some ironies, uh, some of the irony came to mind. But let me share with you just a few thoughts uh, here this morning. Some of the irony that we see here in, in just these uh, first two verses. Number one, and I encourage you to take some notes. Please do get a few thoughts down in your notes this morning. Uh, they condemned the one, uh, the, the priests, the Sanhedrin, they condemned the one who came not to condemn. Did Jesus come to condemn people? Did he come to condemn people? Did, 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 did he come that, that people would just be condemned uh, and, and sentenced to hell. That's not why he came, is it? Why did the Lord Jesus Christ come? Why, why did God the Son leave a perfect heaven 
uh, where, where he enjoyed a wonderful worship of the angels and a, a wonderful communion with the Father. Why did he come? Did, did he come that, that people would be condemned? Sometimes that's what people think about Christians and, and church and the Bible. They'll say, you know, I don't want anything to do with, with any of that because I don't, I don't want you to, your, your condemning attitude. I want to be condemned by you. That's not why Jesus came. By, by the way, did he come because we are guilty? We are guilty of sinning against the Lord, right? The, the law, the Old Testament law, reveals the fact that we are sinners. You ever take anything that didn't belong to you? You don't have to raise your hand. Do you ever say anything that wasn't quite true? Ever? It's just that little bit of sin, brother, right? That relatively small sins, at least things that seem small in our mind. Would that be enough to condemn us to the consequence of sin in a very real hell for all of eternity? According to the Bible, that's all it would take, right? One little sin uh, condemns me to a very real hell through all of eternity. I could pay the price for my sin in hell if I choose to, uh, but Jesus came to take the penalty upon himself. He took the, the penalty of sin upon himself. Uh, but by the way, was it my personal sin and your personal sin that was placed upon him at the cross? Is that the case? That's what the Bible teaches, right? All of our sin, all, all of the penalty due for our sin was placed upon him at the cross so that we could be forgiven by God the Father as he paid the price for our sin uh, so that uh, any of us who would simply place our faith in him and what he's accomplished on the cross, the blood that he shed to cover our sins, we'd be forgiven. He didn't come to condemn us. Uh, he came not to condemn, but rather to save. We see that in John 3 and verse 17. You don't have to turn there unless you want to, but John 3 and verse 17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the consequence of sin, the penalty that is hell. It's a real place according to scripture. It's a place where people experience severe penalties, severe consequence uh, for sin. Jesus came so that we could avoid that kind of condemnation, that we'd be uh, saved from that. Uh, how ironic that the Sanhedrin uh, sent priests, but sinners, sinful men, are condemning the one who came that we might not be condemned, but rather saved. Uh, look secondly here, a second irony that you see here, just in these first couple of verses, uh, they bound the one who came to free us. Could you even imagine, the, brother, our perfectly sinless savior, lamb without blemish or spot, they've chained him up like a common criminal and they're dragging him off to uh, this Roman official to be tried again and, uh, and to be crucified like a common, uh, a common criminal. They bound up the one who came uh, to free us. May I ask you this morning, if you know Christ and your savior, is there a very real sense in which you've been freed? Church, yeah, that what, you, you've been freed from the penalty of sin. You've been freed from the guilt. Uh, I used to have a message that, that I preach where uh, I talk about the, uh, the moment that I was saved, the, the weight of sin that came off my shoulders. Just as a young person, Gary, how much could I have sinned as a young person? Well, fair amount, amen, uh, a fair amount. When, when, when you come to Christ and, and you turn to him, uh, in faith and place your faith in him for forgiveness of sin, uh, not, not only are, are you no longer condemned by the consequence of sin, but, but you're, you're freed from the penalty of sin uh, and you're freed from the burden, uh, the weight of that sin that, that weighs us down. And 
you remember, I'm sure, the weight of sin, the weight of the burden of guilt. Uh, make a note here, Galatians 5 and verse 1, here where uh, we're commanded by the Lord through Paul as he writes, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us, what is the word, church? Free, uh, and, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. How ironic is it that they bound up Christ uh, in their drag, the one who came so that they'd not be condemned, they've condemned, uh, and, and the one who came to free us, uh, they, they've, they've bound him up and, and they're leading him away. How about a third irony here? Uh, they led away the one who leads his people. They're leading him away uh, like a common criminal. Uh, how, how ironic that they're leading him away like a prisoner. Uh, he is the one who has come not only not to condemn, uh, not only to free us from the penalty or the consequence of our sin, uh, but also once we've looked to him for, uh, for salvation, for uh, freedom from the condemnation and freedom from the guilt of sin and freedom uh, from the penalty of sin, uh, he desires to lead us. Isn't that a good thing? Do you appreciate the, the leading of the Lord in your heart this morning? You know what I'm talking about, right? You know what I'm talking about. Aren't you glad this morning when there's a decision to be made? By the way, do you ever have to make decisions? Church, do you ever have to make important decisions? Yeah, you do. At all stages of life, there's important decisions that, that we have to make. Someone said to me once, and I've repeated it many times over the years, to not make a decision is still to make a decision. Amen? You, you ever try to avoid making a decision? You, you know you're at a crossroads, and you really need to make a decision, but you just drag your feet. You try to avoid making the decision as long as you can. That's a decision. You decide to do that. What happens when eventually some decision or some inaction has consequences? Uh, Jesus came that we might be led of him. How does he lead us primarily, church? How does the Lord primarily lead his people, Zach? How, how does God lead us primarily? Through his, his words, right? And we praise God for our Bibles. Uh, sometimes we're not sure exactly where to look. Ask each other, hey, I've got this decision to make. Uh, could, could you help me find some principles in Scripture that would uh, shed some light on my decision? Uh, here, here's my situation. Could, could you help me just see some places where uh, the Lord has defined some principles or spelled out some principles that might guide uh, my decision? Of course, he works in our hearts also. Uh, you understand this morning, and I, I don't think I need to re remind most of us that uh, when there's a decision to be made and you pray about that decision, you look into God's words and you begin to pray about that decision. Uh, Lord, give me peace about uh, what is your uh, leading. Lord, lead me and give me peace about the way that you would have me to go. Uh, and then God, don't give me any peace about the way that you would not have me to go. Do you ever pray that prayer? And, and what happens? What happens? You have a peace about the direction God will have you to go in and no peace about the direction that he'd not have you to go. Does he lead? Does God lead in your life? Stop and think about the amazing privilege that that is. The Lord of all things, the God of creation, the one who has always been and who always will be, uh, the God of creation uh, takes interest in the relatively small decisions that we have to make in our lives 
uh, and speaks to us through his words and gives us peace or not in our hearts to guide us as we yield to him. Uh, he, got, he, he invests that kind of direction in leading in our lives. That's an amazing privilege. It's an amazing privilege. How ironic is it uh, that these uh, wicked members of, of the Sanhedrin are leading Jesus away when a, like a common criminal. He's the one that's came not to condemn, but to save. He's the one who's come to free. He's the one who's come to lead his people, not to be led around like a common criminal. I give you one more irony here, and then we'll move on. Uh, the fourth thing, the fourth irony that I see in these first couple of verses is that they delivered the one who is king of kings uh, to a mid-tier, a middle level, a relatively low Roman authority. Is Jesus king of kings, church? It, does the Bible call him Lord of lords? Is there any authority higher than the Lord himself? I understand Jesus voluntarily placed himself under the authority of the Father, but he is, in fact, equal to and has equal authority uh, to God the Father. He uh, he's, in, in a sense, no different than God. I know they're separate persons. We can't quite get our arms around the, the triune Godhead, the Trinity. Uh, one God uh, consisting of three persons. We can't quite understand that. Uh, if you can, help me understand that, please. But he voluntarily placed himself as an equal under the authority of, of God the Father. Uh, he has perfect authority. The Lord Jesus Christ has perfect authority. I've said recently, whether we recognize that or not, whether we yield to him or not, whether we treat him as Lord of our life or not, he has, he possesses perfect authority uh, as God the Son. How ironic that they would lead him away like a common criminal to this lower level or, or middle level Roman authority. Pilate's simply the Roman procurator. He's, he's a guy that would be hoping to get a promotion from this kind of unsavory place in his eyes, I'm sure, you know, down in Judah, uh, in Jerusalem. He, he'd be looking to be, get promoted out of there to something more desirable. He's got to keep the peace, I'm sure uh, he's thinking, uh, and, and we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But he's, he's not a guy who has any significant authority uh, in the Roman power structure. How ironic uh, that Christ is being carried off to him. Uh, we do well. We do well to remember that the Lord Jesus Christ has perfect authority. Amen. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to never lose sight of your perfect authority. And as you, as you consider that, as you meditate upon that, we do well to say, Lord, help me uh, to bear in mind that I do well to remain yielded to you uh, and to your perfect authority. By the way, naturally, we don't like authority, do we? We don't naturally like authority unless it's authority that we possess, right? We want to be the authority in our lives naturally. We want to be the king of our lives. We want naturally want to be uh, the Lord of our lives. We, we naturally buck against or, or rebel against authority. Uh, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Give us grace to yield to your supernatural authority. Lord, work in our spirits to give us grace to yield to you, recognizing your authority uh, and, and yielding to you. Well, that's all part of number one this morning. Jesus is condemned. He's condemned uh, by the Sanhedrin. He's condemned by the Sanhedrin. Now, the storyline, the account uh, switches scenes for a moment. 
so we have Christ condemned and all the ironies of that. Uh, and then the scene kind of switches away from this path to the cross back to Judas. Uh, you remember Judas and, and all that he did. He, he sold Jesus out. He led the authorities to Jesus for how much money? 30 pieces of silver. Uh, that's the value that he placed on the life of Christ. By the way, I, I read this week, um, and I, I, you know, I, I have to confess, I don't remember reading this before, but someone said that was the price of a slave uh, that was maimed. So in the, in the slave trade of, of the first century, slaves had a certain value depending on their health and their abilities. And if there was a slave who was, who was maimed somehow, had some physical malady that would affect their ability to perform, that's, that's, about, uh, that's about the amount that you would typically expect to pay. That's how much he valued the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, like a maimed slave. Uh, that seems ironic to me as well, church. Uh, Jesus has been sold out by Judas, uh, his, his alleged disciple, uh, a faker, no doubt. He's, he'd been sold out for <clears throat> that little money. Uh, when Judas sees the consequence of having sold out Christ, he immediately begins to experience consequences uh, in his own spirit. He, he, he realizes that, hey, I've sold Jesus, this, this, this man out, for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, he's been arrested. Well, he, that's exactly what Judas should have expected. He's been condemned by the Sanhedrin. That's exactly what Judas should have expected. That's who he sold Jesus out to for you know, pocket change. Uh, he, he sees that uh, he's been condemned. Jesus has been condemned by the Sanhedrin now and he's being led off like a common criminal uh, to Pontius Pilate, the Roman pro procurator, he's going to be found guilty there, and he's going to be crucified. The weight of this comes sin. The weight of this sin comes crashing down upon Judas, who, who no doubt, no doubt is not a saved man. He's a man that's too interested in himself to look to Christ to be saved. Uh, he, he's a man that's too interested in, in, in money and, and, and things and uh, than in, in Christ and what Christ could offer him spiritually. Uh, he's a man who is now going to begin struggling and suffering under the weight of the consequences uh, of his own choices. By the way, even at this point, could he be saved? Could he be forgiven? Could he be? All he would have to do is repent of his sin and place his faith in Christ, and he'd be forgiven of his sins, right? Uh, is that same forgiveness available to anyone in the world right now, regardless of the depth of their sin, regardless of the span, the scope, the scale of their sin? Is that forgiveness available to anyone who's living in the world today? The Bible makes it pretty clear it is, right? The Lord desires that everyone and anyone will be saved. Christ came clearly for everyone. Uh, he desires that everyone would be saved. He desires that no one would go to hell. That, that's true today. It was true in Judas's day. It's true every day. Anyone, anyone that would repent, turn to him and place their faith in him uh, can be forgiven. I'm, uh, I'm reminded this morning, even at this point in Judas's life, he could have made that decision. Anyone today, no matter their sin, can can uh, turn to Christ despite the, the, the serious, the, the heinousness of, of their sin. I want you to see here this morning, our second C, 
uh, Judas suffered great consequences. He suffered great consequences for his sin. That's the second C, consequences, uh, for his sin and for his failure to exercise the kind of repentance that would save him from the consequences uh, of his sin. Under this C, I want to give you some S's, okay? Is that confusing? Under this C, consequences, I'm going to give you just several S's, okay? S's. Uh, first of all, I want you to see suffer great sorrow. He suffered great sorrow, uh, great remorse, uh, great regret. Look at verse 3. The Bible says, then Judas, uh, which had betrayed him. Yeah, he betrayed him. When he saw that he, that Jesus was condemned, there's our first C. Always good to take your C's from Scripture if you can. When he saw that Jesus was condemned, repented himself. Well, that sounds good. That sounds like a good start. Uh, and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests uh, and to the elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? Uh, see thou to that. We don't care about that. Hey, you did a deal with us. You regret it now. Oh, well, sorry. We've done our deal. Jesus has been arrested. We don't care uh, about your sorrow, about your regret. Listen, if you read this on the surface, it sounds like maybe Judas is going down the road to truly repenting of sin, that there's a really a godly sorrow, a godly remorse here, uh, and there's, there's the kind of repentance that goes along with exercising faith in Christ that results in that moment in salvation. On the surface, it kind of looks like maybe that's the road that he's traveling down, but on the surface, that we, we can see that it, it's not that at all. You see his actions in verse 5 and after bring that out pretty clearly, uh, I believe, but uh, I'll just share with you this morning, this word repent that we see in verse 3, the underlying word, the word that is translated to repented here in verse 3, it's not the same word that normally gets translated repentance. Uh, the word that normally gets translated repent is, has the idea of a change of mind that results in a change of direction. Uh, it implies godly sorrow. It, Im it implies uh, God working and, and a turning from sin uh, to Christ. The word that's translated repent here is different. Uh, it's different. It has the, the literal meaning of caring afterwards or caring about something after the fact. It has the idea that he's lamenting the consequence of his sin without really repenting of that sin. He's caring about the consequences of his sin without allowing that to compel him to turning to Christ. I think there's a lot of people in the world that lament the consequences of their sin. By the way, does sin always have consequences? Sin always has consequences. You violate the word of God, it has consequences. It has spiritual consequences, it has practical consequences. You know Christ as your savior uh, by simply repenting of sin and placing your faith in him. That's a one-time transaction. His righteousness is paid onto your account. You're forgiven, but sin can still have practical consequences in our life. Uh, Judas here, he's, he's lamenting, he's sorrowing at the consequences of his choice, but he does not in any way seem to be repenting of sin in the sense of turning from it and turning to Christ uh, for salvation. It's a different word. Just understand that. The underlying word here is different. It has uh, a different meaning. 
how, how can we know here that, uh, how can you see in the, in the passage here or in the account that um, there's, there's not that sort of transaction of salvation happening here uh, in verse 3. By the way, when you were saved, did things change? Did things change when you place your, your faith in Christ for forgiveness of sin? The weight of sin, the weight of sin comes off your shoulders. But uh, did anything else change in your life? Did anything else change in your spirit? Did, did God give you a, a, a new nature? Did the Holy Spirit come and take up residence uh, in your spirit? Uh, I understand you weren't perfectly uh, grown up spiritually in a moment. That's a process, like growing up from a baby uh, to a teenager to an adult person. That's a process. That maturation physically is a process. Match maturing spiritually is a process as well. But, but you know when you got saved, th there's a change. There's a peace available to you. Uh, there's a joy that's available to you despite your sin. You know that you're forgiven, and, and there's a change. There, there's a change in us. don't see any indication here that Judas felt the relief of the weight of sin. Uh, there's, there's no indication of that. In fact, uh, as you look at verse 5, it seems like not only was there not relief from the guilt of sin that, that you experience when you place your faith in Christ and, uh, and, and he relieves you of the guilt of sin and the weight of it, Judas doesn't experience that because he's not, he's not truly repented and turned to Christ for salvation. Uh, his, his remorse and his sorrow and the weight of what he's done, uh, that the heavy burden of the consequences, it weighs him down to just about the lowest point anyone could get to, and he takes his own life. Look at verse 5. He cast down the 30 pieces of silver in the temple. He goes and he, he just throws it back. I don't want this blood money. Just take it back. I don't want it. He cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed. He ran out uh, and went uh, in, in, in one of the saddest, saddest, most unnecessary phrases uh, of all scripture, perhaps, he went and hanged himself. What did he do? He committed suicide. Uh, he, he killed himself. And we'll say a couple things about that. We do not believe that, that the Bible teaches that if a Christian takes their life that they lose their salvation. The Bible doesn't teach that. Does, would it be a sin for someone to take their life, church? Would that be a sin? That'd be a sin. Is murder a sin? Is murder a sin? So suicide is mur essentially murdering yourself, right? Uh, it, it's a sin. Uh, what's behind it? I understand that uh, it, it's emotional turmoil can lead someone to make that decision. Uh, I understand that, but there's a pridefulness in choosing to uh, take your own life rather than allowing the Lord to, to call you home when he chooses to. Uh, there, there's a pridefulness in choosing to deal with the emotional turmoil that we sometimes do experience in life by ending our life rather than seeking the Lord and through his word and, and in prayer for the, uh, the, the, the peace that we need and the joy that we need and the, and the relief from the burden uh, of sin that we need and all, all the God's answers to the emotional turmoil that we do sometimes experience in life. Can I ask you a question this morning, church? Is it okay? I, I do it all the time, right? 
Has God promised us a life as believers without ever, a life without trials? We know that he hasn't. Um, has he promised us a life without emotional struggles? Has he? He hasn't. Has he offered us answers for when trials and the emotional difficulty that comes with trials, has he offered us answers when we experience those things? Church, has he? Has he? He has. You bring your difficulty, your trials, your burdens to the Lord, Philippians 4. You bring your cares to him with thanksgiving. God, thank you that I can bring this really hard thing to you. Lord, thank you. What has he promised as a blessing when we do that? He's promised peace and a great peace, one that we can hardly comprehend. And he explains in that Philippians 4 passage, that's Christ. If you've come to Christ by grace through faith uh, in him, you have him in your life and he's acting in our lives and he uh, he's promised that if we will bring our cares to him with thanksgiving, he will crowd them out and make room for his peace, which he then moves into that place in, in our hearts, uh, in our lives. Is that a good thing? Is that a good thing? Lord, thank you for that because we need that. We need, that's just one answer, right? That's just, that's just one of God's answers uh, for the various difficulties, the struggles that we face. Have you found that the Bible does not contain an answer for some very serious, very significant issue of life that you have faced? Have you ever found that the Bible does not have an answer for you? Uh, if you think that you have, you should probably ought to talk to someone else who knows the Bible very well. Uh, the Bible is sufficient, amen? The Lord is sufficient, he is enough, uh, and his word is enough. People sometimes say, why has God given us 66 books? Well, some of it's history, and he wants us to understand lessons from history. Much of it is doctrinal. He wants us to understand him. Uh, a great deal of it has to do with how can we live our lives and, uh, and, and, and lead a life that is pleasing to him. How can we know him by grace through faith in Christ? How can we live a life that's pleasing to him? He teaches us that through his words. How, how can we have a life that is livable? How can we have a life that is bearable? How can we have a life that uh, has joy and peace uh, and, and, and love, uh, where we can be loving and gracious and merciful and kind toward others. How, how can we have that when people are so bad and the world is filled with so much wickedness? And it's only because of the God who is re revealed to us through Scripture. Um, we face a lot of different trials and difficulties. God has all the answers. Is that true? Have you found that to be true as you've gotten to know the Lord and his words, have you found what I just said to be true? I have. I have. Um, I looked other places earlier in life for many of these answers, and, you know, the world has some answers that seem to work for a time. Isn't that true? That's why people take them up. They seem to work for a time, and then they don't, and then they don't. Where do you go? God's answers are the true answers, and they are genuine. Um, Judas, no doubt, was suffering tremendous emotional consequences of his tremendously sinful actions. He could have genuinely repented and turned to Christ 
and found forgiveness and found relief from the guilt of his sin. He did not do that, and, and no doubt, having not done that, the guilt that he experienced and the weight of it was, was compounded until he felt so low that he felt, he felt like he had no other choice. Remember, feelings lie. Feelings lie. God never lies, but feelings do lie sometimes. He felt like he had no other choice. Uh, suicide, of course, is a significant issue in our world today. And I don't want to burden you with a lot of numbers this morning, but I do want to share just a few things to um, cause us to consider how much of an issue this is in our world today. Uh, suicide is a leading cause of death in the U.S. In 2020, uh, almost 46,000 Americans took their life by suicide. There's one death by suicide in this nation every 11 minutes. In 2021, suicide was the second leading cause of death amongst 20 to 24-year-olds. Nearly 20% of 20 to 24-year-olds who died in 2021 died by taking their own lives. Is this a big thing? Is this a significant issue? Uh, over the past 10 years, among 10 to 14-year-olds, young people, 10 to 14-year-olds, suicides moved from the fourth leading cause of death to the second leading cause of death. Almost 17% of 10 to 14-year-olds who die today die by suicide. That's, that's shocking, isn't it? it, it shock Why is that? Why is that? Why is that? It's because people feel hopeless. Don't you just know how hopeless Judas must have felt? He said the tremendous weight of uh, guilt upon him and uh, the consequences and just unable to deal with the burden and the weight of guilt, the guilt that he experienced uh, at his choices. He, uh, he felt like there was no hope for ever feeling better than that uh, for sure. Uh, and so he did what he felt was the only thing that he could do. He had no hope for ever being relieved from that guilt. Aren't you glad this morning that there is hope available to everyone and everyone in Christ. Aren't you glad for that this morning? Listen, why, why do we take our Saturdays, and I know others of you work uh, other times during the week, always looking for opportunities to share a gospel track. Why do we go out on Saturdays and talk to people downtown or uh, hang mailboxes on the, in Trumbull this week on the Trumbull Easton border. I hope we're welcome in Easton. No one's, no one's complained yet. <laughs> I hope we're welcome there. Why do we do that? It's because people need hope. They, they, they need to know Christ to avoid the consequence of sin. They need to know Christ so that they can find hope uh, that is not available in any... The, the, are there things in the world that... Um, that uh, masquerade for a time as the hope that is offered by Christ? Uh, do, do people sometimes flee to into the world and the things of the world because they believe, oh, there's, there's, there's hope for relief from all the weight of my sin and the consequences of this guilt? Uh, I'll, you know, I can drink, I can do drugs, I can engage in promiscuity and entertainment, all, all the things that the world has to offer. We feel like, hey, I can get relief there. And for a time, you can until you can't. And this is a big part of why suicide is such a big issue in our world today. People simply don't know that there is hope 
and peace and joy available through a genuine relationship with the genuine Christ of the genuine word of God. Aren't you glad this morning we know better? We know better. If you found him, you know better too. It doesn't mean that we never experience sorrow. It doesn't mean that we never struggle with depressed feelings. It doesn't mean that we never feel anxious. It doesn't mean that we ever struggle to be joyful. Uh, no, but when we feel that way, we know from the word of God that we can flee to the God of those words and find what we need in him rather than spiraling down the drain to the place where Judas was uh, and the place where so many people today choose to depart this world feeling hopeless. We are a people of great hope this morning because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're a people of a great and perfect hope this morning because of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 16. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 16 says this. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation uh, and good hope through grace. And Paul goes on from there, writing to the church members at Thessalonica. But he, he, he says, listen, I, I want you to understand, uh, as I address various issues to you, don't feel hopeless. There is a, a great, there's a good hope, a, a, a true hope available to us through Christ uh, in the grace that we find in him. Peter, uh, Peter, the same Peter who had denied Christ three times, in 1 Peter 1 and, and verse 3, the Lord having graciously restored him to a, a right relationship and a place of service. In 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, Peter writes, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, and that's the resurrection we're going to be looking at in, here in just, just two weeks. There is a wonderful hope available to us because of Christ, because of the cross, his death, his burial, and yes, because of his resurrection. Anyone struggling physically this morning? Brother Art, put your hand up. <laughs> Anyone struggling physically this morning? I know we, we shared some prayer requests this morning, and we know that so many of us are. We, we have the hope that that will be over uh, that there's resurrection bodies ahead and that they're incorruptible, perfect resurrection bodies that, that we'll enjoy uh, throughout. We have all kinds of hope. We have all kinds of hope. Uh, Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you. Uh, Lord, help us to get the message out there that there's hope available. Uh, Lord, help us to get the message out there that there's a certain hope available in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, by the way, is it a hard thing to get saved, to, to be saved from the consequence of sin uh, and to know the indwelling of the Spirit of God and, and to know a peace from... Is that a hard thing to do? It's an easy thing to do. Uh, it's not a hard thing, right? Well, you say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. You've told me. Lord, you've said all of, all of sin comes short of the glory of God. You told me I'm a sinner. You told me in your word that there's consequences, but you also told me that, uh, Father, you sent your only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus. You loved us so much that you sent us sent him to die for us in our place and that anyone that would put their faith in him in their belief in him could know eternal life. 
forgiveness of sin, uh, freedom from the consequence of hell, freedom from the consequence of guilt of sin, uh, freedom from the consequence of weight of sin that can take you to a very dark place. Freedom from all of that. Not that we never struggle, but that we have a Savior who is active and present in our lives. Gary, he died upon the cross to make that possible. What a profound love. What a profound love. Uh, is this what the Bible reveals? Is this what the Bible reveals? By the way, is there a great deal of proof? How much proof is there that the Bible is the word of God, that it is supernatural? How much proof is there that it wasn't just made up by some guys, some Jewish guys over some centuries, um, sort of in a back room trying to make up a religion? How much proof is there that that could not have been the case, but rather that it is the supernatural word of God? Is there proof? May I ask you this, is there proof in your own heart? Does the Holy Spirit witness to you as a saved person, as someone who's put your faith in Christ, as you read the Bible, does the Holy Spirit just give you a faith, a confidence that these are actually God's words? You, you have a, a wonderfully accurate translation of the inspired and preserved words of God in your hand. And it's, it's just not like reading anything else, right? It's real, and it really is what we need. It really is the word of God. Is, is that the case? The Holy Spirit just ministers that confidence to you? Is it? Is that the case? It is the case. I've shared with people, the, um, I've encouraged people, if you're not sure about that, just open the Bible, you know, go to John, the Gospel of John in the New Testament, and, and just pray, God, if, if, if these are your words, if, if this is really of you and from you and it's about you, I'm going to read through the Gospel of John. As I do that, Lord, would you just show me in my own heart, in my own spirit, would you convict me, give me faith that this is real? And brother, if, if people will do that, if they'll just humbly come to God and say, hey, God, if you're there and this is really your word, I'm going to read it. John. God reveals himself, doesn't he? Through his word, which is quick, it's alive, it's powerful. God reveals himself through his words. There's no escaping that. There's no escaping it. Um, as Judas did what he did, um, he was fulfilling prophecy, uh, Old Testament prophecy. He, what he did was prophesied hundreds of years earlier. And as I've said many times, the existence of prophecy in the Old Testament and then fulfilled either in the Old Testament or the New Testament, that's a powerful proof of the supernatural nature of God's words. Uh, I know we've talked about this recently, but I mentioned again because we see reference to this account being the fulfillment of prophecy uh, here this morning. Look with me in verse, beginning in verse 6. The chief priest took the silver and said, It's not lawful uh, for it to put them in the treasury because it is the price of blood. They couldn't take the money and keep it. Verse 7, they took counsel and brought with them, sorry, bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. They took the money and they bought a field where, that could serve as a cemetery for the poor. Verse 8, wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day, until this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet. Who's that, Jeremy the prophet? 
Jeremiah, right? So that's Jeremiah the prophet saying, it took 30 pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. Uh, there's a reference to a passage in Jeremiah where this theme appears. Uh, and then in, um, in Zechariah, uh, chapter 11, verses 12 and 13, those words appear. Those words appear. So Jer Jeremiah has a passage uh, where this is, this is the theme of the passage, and those exact words actually show up in Zechariah 11, uh, hundreds of years earlier. How is it possible? Uh, how is it possible that we could have so much prophecy, the details of history, broad strokes, the individual kingdoms of history, foretold by, by Daniel, uh, the fine uh, details regarding the coming of Christ, when, who his parents would be, what he would say, what he would do, uh, li things like this, little, relatively little things like this uh, prophesied by not just Jeremiah, but two of the prophets uh, in very fine detail. Rich, it's not the case where people went back and cooked the books so that it would look like prophecy was made and fulfilled. Everybody who had a, a prior copy of the Word of God would have known when those changes were made. They would have been able to compare it and say, whoa, you, this is what we had and now you've changed it to make it look like this. No, that, that, that they would not have been able to hide that kind of corruption of the Word of God. Just like corruption of the Word of God can't be hidden today because we have so many copies of it. Uh, the, the prophecy of the prophets being fulfilled uh, absolutely demands a supernatural source of the Bible. And it is God who is the source of his words. Uh, does that grow your confidence this morning in the word of God? Uh, I hope it does. I know if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit who just witnesses that to you. These, these are my words. Don't worry about it. These are my words. You just receive them, and I will work through them in your life. Does he? If you just receive the word of God with a yielded heart, does the Holy Spirit work through those words and minister to you grace and peace and comfort and joy and uh, love and, and just works in our lives, right? Does he? He absolutely does. He absolutely does. Uh, and I praise God for that. Let me go just a little bit further here this morning. I won't, I won't get as, as far as I hope this morning, but let me go just a little bit further here. Um, verse 11, Jesus stood before the governor. The governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. Uh, that was understood to mean, yes, you got it. <laughs> you, you got it. Uh, is he the king of the Jews? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, should he be the king of our lives? Well, he is. We do well to recognize that. He's, he's the king of me also. Verse 12, when he was accused of the chief priests and the elders, he said nothing, uh, humbly just stayed the course to the cross. Then said Pilate unto him, hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? Uh, Jesus, don't you hear the things that they're testifying to, the things that they have testified uh, regarding? Don't you understand that this is putting you on the path, on the course to being crucified? Uh, don't you get it? Verse 14, he answered, uh, he, Jesus, answered him, never a word. Jesus answered Pilate, never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. At this point, Pilate shipped Jesus off to Herod Antipas, one of the Herods. Find that in Luke 24. Uh, Herod shipped Jesus back to Pilate. 
And you understand, you recall, Pilate had an opportunity to release a prisoner by tradition on, on this day. And uh, they had a prisoner that he would release, but the people chose that Jesus would be condemned and crucified rather than released. Did Jesus know that that was going to be the case? Did he know that? He absolutely knew that. Marilyn, before he came, did he know that? He absolutely knew that. He knew that he would be wrongly accused, wrongly arrested, wrongly accused, wrongly condemned, wrongly found guilty by the Sanhedrin and by Pilate, uh, wrongly scourged brutally on the way to the cross, wrongly crucified. He knew that. He knew that. That's why he came. He came to experience those things, the consequence of sin, so that we would not have to experience hell, the ultimate final consequence of sin. That, I'll say again this morning, is a profound love. God the Father sent his only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in our place, Brother Ray, because of that profound love for us. Jesus could have at any moment called upon the angels to release him from this course that he was on. He could have released himself. He could have fled away uh, in his own power, in his own strength, at any choice, at any moment, at any moment, uh, he did not. He came to die upon the cross. He came to save us from the consequence of our sins. Judas, there we go, Judas could have accepted the offer of forgiveness. He chose not to, and he suffered great consequences. I close this morning with a simple question. Have you accepted Christ's offer of forgiveness of your sins? Have you ever understood that gospel message? He came, he died, he was buried, he rose again, proving that he is the way, the truth, and the life, the one way to God the Father, the only way to be forgiven. Uh, has there been a time that you can recall where you said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that Jesus is the one, the Son of God, who came and died upon the cross that my sins might be forgiven. Judas refused that offer of forgiveness to great consequence. Uh, men and women today refuse that offer of forgiveness to great consequence. But when we accept that offer by grace through faith, we are blessed greatly with forgiveness and all the blessings that come along with that, with the indwelling of the Spirit of God, Brother Ray, who offers us peace and joy and love, everything that we need, everything that we need. Lord, thank you. Let's bow our heads, please. Father, we thank you, Lord, this morning. That you're a good God. Lord, I thank you this morning for the truths that we find even in difficult passages. Lord, I thank you this morning as we've been studying through this path, this course to the cross, that it points us directly to the cross and all of the 
forgiveness that's made available through it and only it. Lord, through all the blessings, for all the blessings that are available to us because of Christ and his cross. Lord, I pray this morning for anyone who has not made the decision to place their faith in Christ. I pray this morning that make that simple but consequential decision to simply turn to you and say, Lord, I, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I don't like that, but I know it's true. Lord, I pray for that person this morning that they would say, Lord, I understand this morning that you sent your only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in my place. The Bible says God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, thank you that the Bible says that in order to be forgiven, we simply need to repent and turn and place our faith in Christ. Your word says, repent, therefore, be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Father, thank you this morning that your word says that if any shall confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shall believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved, saved from the consequence of sin. Lord, I pray this morning if there's one person here who's never made that simple decision to turn to Christ and place their faith in him for forgiveness of sin, that make that decision this morning. Father, there may be someone here this morning who's struggling emotionally, perhaps because of guilt regarding sin. Lord, I know that even as believers, we need to remain in the business of confessing sin and being right with you. Lord, I pray this morning if there's sin in our hearts and our lives that needs to be confessed, that we'll just take a moment and do that. Father, if there's anxieties, fears, worries, Lord, I pray we take a moment this morning and bring those things to you with thankfulness, with hearts filled with gratitude that we can. Lord, that you'd give us grace with which to trust you and that you'd bless us with peace. Lord, help us to do our part, but to trust you to do your part. Lord, maybe there's someone this morning struggling with depression. Father, I pray you help that person turn their eyes to you and your words. Give you a moment to pray, church. Lord, I thank you so much this morning that you're real. We're not worshiping an idol of stone or wood, but the one true God. Lord, I thank you this morning that we can know you from your word, and that because of your son, Father, we can have a wonderful personal relationship with you. Lord, we can find all that we need in you and from you, through you. Lord, pray this morning that you give us hearts to know you. 
and to look to you, to rely upon you for all that we need. Lord, not to worry, not to be anxious, to not be depressed, but to look to you to find strength, grace, peace, joy that you've promised as we yield to you and look to you. Lord, I pray this morning you give us hearts to share the gospel message that others may find the same forgiveness, the same joy, the same peace, the same blessings. Lord, I thank you this morning for our church. Thank you for a humble, simple church in Trumbull, Connecticut that loves you. Thank you for working here in our hearts for your good purposes. Lord, we love you. I thank you. I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may look up here. Well, thank you so much for being here this morning. And um, I didn't get all the way through my outline, but that's okay. I owe you a C. I'll give you a preview of it. It's the cowardice of Pilate. It's the cowardice of Pilate, Pontius Pilate. We'll look at that next Sunday, Lord willing. Um, so we're going to sing. Zach, come and you, you come and lead us in a closing song. You close us in prayer. I uh, want to again reiterate our invitation for everyone to join us for a fellowship meal downstairs immediately after the service. Uh, head down and, and just take a seat, if you would, and then when we're all in place, we'll, we're sure the food's all ready. We'll, we'll pray and we'll eat and we'll enjoy a good time of fellowship. And then plan to be back up here at 1.30. Zach preached uh, this afternoon at 1.30. And there'll be no 6 o'clock service tonight, obviously. So that's our plan. If you can't stay, we understand, but we do want to uh, invite you and uh, would love to have everyone here that possibly can um, fellowship. Uh, Zach, you come, please. All right, let's stand as we turn to 419. Standing as we turn to 419, there you'll find we're marching to Zion. We'll sing the first and the last of 419. sweet accord and in a song with sweet accord and thus around the throne and thus around the throne we're marching to zion beautiful beautiful zion we're marching upward to zion the beautiful city of god then let our songs abound and every tear be dry we're marching through emmanuel's ground Marching through Emmanuel's ground to fairer worlds on high, to fairer worlds on high. We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. All right, let's pray, dear Heavenly Father. We do thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today. We pray you would bless this time of fellowship to come. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.